0: Welcome to this episode of Beaver Pod with Brad Hill.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life in Equine Practice What Makes Us Tick. I'm Brad Hill, your host, and this is the podcast that talks to my guests about their careers, their paths and their journeys and how they've managed to get to a role where hopefully they feel that they are valued and they are fulfilled. We also look at their failures or their perceived failures and hopefully on a little bit of reflection, they can see those as actually an opportunity to grow and fail forward. So I'm really excited. We've just finished Pride Month. And I really wanted to speak to someone else who was part of the LGBT plus community. So where did I look? I looked on the Facebook BVLGBT page, which is the British LGBT group, and found a committee member, Ben Currow. So Ben is a 2014 Bristol graduate. He completed an internship at Bell. He's also done a very short stint in mixed practice in Sheffield. He joined Liverpool and completed a residency and a cert AVP. As part of that, he did a bit of research into retrospective sarcoid surgery. And he has now been at Liverpool for, I think, around five years, and he is known as a lecturer and advanced practitioner. So, and he also has, before I come on to introduce Ben, a whippet which he sees as his sidekick and his whippet's called Lemon and I've got my whippet Stanley lying on the sofa behind me. So, Ben, how are you doing today? Yeah,
0: really good, thank you Brad. Uh, Having a nice time actually away from the whippet at the moment, Uh, I've come up to Edinburgh for a week away just to kind of settle down and decompress from work for a bit because I think given all the time that we've had this year during the pandemic and lockdowns, it was nice to kind of make the most of any easing and restrictions and get away for a little bit. So Lemon is currently on holiday in Manchester, with one of my friends, and I'm currently having a lovely time in the Airbnb. Cool.
1: Sounds great. Um, OK, so Ben, if we go back to the beginning of your VET career. So I mentioned in the intro that you went to Bristol. How was that? And... Um, did you find that an, an experience where you felt you could be yourself right from the get-go, walking into vet school? Do you know,
0: yeah, I like I would never have changed anything in my university experience uh, for the world, actually. I always say to a lot of the students that we have coming through Hurst that if I had been made an offer by all of the, the vet schools, I, I probably would have ended up going to Nottingham, actually. Uh, just because that they did such a fantastic job on that open day and they really managed to sell it but when it came to actually applying to vet school I always kind of thought to myself as a little bit average if I'm honest um, but I was very lucky and I got one offer and that was to Bristol and it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because coming from home my my parents live uh, near West Sussex basically they live near Liphook and it's quite out in the sticks and it's a bit remote. And I think for a young person, kind of who, coming to terms with who they are and, and, a, and a difference in sexuality, that can be quite hard. And so being able to go to a relatively cosmopolitan place like Bristol that has a good amount of diversity and culture, that was a lot more like eye-opening for me, I think. And it was something that was helpful in getting me to discover kind of more about who i was and and what i wanted to be in terms of my personal life
1: yeah i would agree with that actually ben because i went to london and i was brought up in west wales and you couldn't see another house from my parents house so i saw london particularly camden where the vet school is as a real opportunity to explore who i really was and and perhaps um find out where I sat really within the community so I'm going to jump straight in Ben and ask did you were you out when you went to uni or did you come out while you were at Bristol I, I hate the term out but I've I've used it
0: <laughs> it's a funny thing to kind of have a problem with I guess um in terms of like not liking the word out but I've kind of embraced that term actually I feel like it is something that should be celebrated more than kind of making you feel reserved and and so now I would say to people that like yeah I I I was out when I came to uni but I had made my way all through my school and my sixth form experience having been in the closet and in my own mind I had actually come to terms with who I was while I was at school kind of, I, I reckon I probably felt like I, I was gay from the age of 13 or 14, but I was so embarrassed and scared by that prospect. I kind of just tried to hold it to myself because I didn't want it to change how people felt about me. And during that time, I remember thinking, like, I just don't want to be this. I don't want to go forward like this. I just want to be normal whatever normal might be and over time I kind of came to the conclusion that actually this isn't something that's going to go away I just have to accept this and so I knew that at the point when I was going to go to university that was my chance to have that fresh start and by having that fresh start I was going to go into accepting who I was and should anybody ask me who if I was gay or not I would answer in the affirmative And because of that, it was a very last minute decision to kind of tell my parents before I went away to university. And I'd probably say that's actually a bit of a regret in my life. I I wish I had told them sooner, but you just don't know how your parents are going to react. It doesn't matter. I I genuinely feel it doesn't matter how well you know them. There isn't a great prediction as to what that is going to be. And so two weeks before I was packing my bags and heading off to Clifton, There's. I sat in the middle of the sitting room floor and my parents both staring at me like, what is this child doing? And I was like, there's something I need to tell you and I'm really struggling to find the words to say it. And I remember rambling about something completely random, trying to get myself onto the topic and really struggling. And it was my dad who was the one that then said, are you trying to tell us you're gay? And I was like, yes. And there was this silence. And... They both sort of stared for a moment and then they did the thing that all parents should do. And they both in unison just kind of went, okay, that's fine. And you're like, okay. And then the tone of their voice, it's like, it's fine, but it might not be fine. But their instinct was to be like, okay, just pretend like everything's normal and this is fine because if we don't react properly, this child is going to hate us forever. And I'm very appreciative that they did that. But what was a bit disappointing for them was I, I told them and then I disappeared. You know, I went away to university. I was having the time of my life and I, I just didn't really speak to them. And I think they actually had quite a lot of questions that they wanted to ask, but they didn't feel like they could ask over the phone. And there were occasions later on in our relationship whereby I think they, they made it clear that they would have liked to have been able to speak to me a bit more about it.
1: Yeah, gosh, Ben, that's uh, quite a story. It's um, quite thought provoking for me because obviously I, I tend, I, I think then about the experiences I had. And, and when you said you had a fresh start, I, as I agree again with that. I think that I very much had a fresh start in London. I'd come out of a heterosexual relationship and now really wanted to embrace being a, a gay man in in. The big smoke of London, and uh, and use that as an opportunity to, to really get stuck in and 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 enjoy being part of the community. Um, and that must have been hard for your parents. I, uh, to, and I'm sure they worried about you, uh, during those those initial couple of years. And um, when you when you were at vet school, Ben, did you feel then that if you were if you were in an environment that you felt very comfortable that that maybe your career choice in terms of your species should actually um what I'm trying to say is did you ever sort of see any role models with either in small animal or equine who were part of the community who made you think do you know what it's probably easier to be gay and a small animal vet or gay and an equine vet because I think I started to have those thoughts. Did you ever have those thoughts about where, it, what spe- species it might be easier to be a gay vet in, if that makes sense?
0: Do you know, I, I actually think that never fully occurred to me in terms of trying to make the choice as to whether I would be uh, a different kind of vet from, from being an equine vet I mean, when I was at vet school initially, I, I was determined that I would never become a horse vet because I came from quite a privileged background and I always had horses as a child and I had ridden to a reasonable level until I was about 18 and so I just felt like everyone wanted me to go to vet school because I could then be a horse vet and look after all their horses and I I felt like that wasn't going to happen. So I went from wanting to be a zoo vet to then being a government vet to then uh, wanting to work in policy to then only when I went on EMS and did clinical stuff thinking actually maybe this horse thing is is the right way forward but I think for me one of the advantages with veterinary science is that the course in general is heavily populated by by women and by female students and that for a very nervous and naive gay man gives you quite a lot of confidence. And I think that that's something that could be admired within our own industry, is that gay men often find solitude with women. We find them less intimidating. We find them compatriots in the experiences that we have within society. Gay men don't necessarily have the same things that occur to them as as women do, but we kind of relate to that. And it's something that maybe takes the edge off it being scary. And especially at university when everything's new, I, for sure, the majority of my friend groups at university were were women. And so for me, actually, I think I felt more comfortable going into veterinary medicine, knowing that it would be the majority girls than it was for me making the decision because I was worried about being on a course full of boys. Does that make sense?
1: yeah yeah i think i think it does um i i don't know i i guess i felt at one point i think it was at a pdsa placement where one of one of the vets was a a gay guy who and i sort of thought gosh maybe it's easier maybe you don't have to camouflage as much if you're a gay man as a small animal vet than you would be as a gay man as a equine vet and maybe that's something i should consider but but, I, but in the end I kind of quashed that thought I, and and continued with my
0: there was, I mean to say that that I, there was an experience I had when I was a student. and I have to bear in mind that I, I I feel like I did very well as a student. I didn't encounter any experience that I felt was outright homophobic I got through an entire two weeks at an outdoor pig unit that had an all-male workforce that I will say now was one of the most dysfunctional teams I've ever met experienced in my life they all hated each other they gossiped about each other and they never had a nice thing to say about each other which I've never seen compared in a in in an equine or or veterinary practice environment that has women involved with it which always surprised me but there was one experience I had when I was at a very large equine hospital and a conversation was struck up in theatre whereby I, I was singled out mainly because I, I was a boy and I was at Bristol and the person doing the surgery had also graduated from Bristol. And so he showed it more of an interest and his words were, oh, so you went to Bristol. That's that's great. Are you enjoying it? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And he followed it with, oh, well, uh, that's great. So are you any good at drinking then? And I was like, okay, I can, I can kind of answer this in in an all right fashion. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind drinking, bearing in mind that if you give me more than the tolerable amount, I'll normally vomit it up. And then the final thing that followed it was, oh, well, that's great. You're good at drinking. So how are you for cricket? And I just sort of, I couldn't lie anymore. I just had to go like, oh God. And I was like, No, no. And after that, I never really got spoken to again. And it's fine. I don't mind. Everyone has their own personal interests. But I actually feel like, for me, that was the one thing that I couldn't go forward with. And would anybody hold that down to me being gay? Maybe not. But if you were to ask a population of LGBT plus people and ask them about things that make them feel uncomfortable, Discussions surrounding sports and things like that are definitely the things that hold them back because we're the kids that were at school that probably didn't play that much sport.
1: Yeah, but that's um yeah. Uh, an interesting point, isn't it, about um not being able to perhaps have those conversations or feel comfortable in sometimes in in, in an arena that um that may be male dominated or or certainly just where you feel like you just can't really answer those questions and then worry that you'll that'll kind of be held against you um but it seems like you that didn't put you off and you obviously then well it's just that was the one thing that kind of made me think is
0: going into equine going to be the right thing for me more to the point I think it's influenced me towards making a decision as to whether or not I would be well suited to maybe more intensive environments should we say like sport horses or racing things like that like you said brad things that are more male dominated i feel that for my character and my experience in life i am very well suited to the leisure horse industry anyone that has a happy hacker i will do absolutely fine but i've never actually worked in the racing sector i don't have the experience for that but in my mind, do I feel intimidated by it? Yes, I, I probably do, and that's just because of my
1: experience as a gay man, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it so it sounds like in a way, maybe subconsciously or consciously, your career choices have been, have, um, slightly affected by your, um, sexuality. You you you, you in, in the intro, you, I I listed you, obviously doing your internship at Bell. You did spend time in mixed practice and, and now you're at Liverpool. Can you talk about those different experiences leading on from that and, and whether you felt you had to camouflage in in all of those roles or more in one or or, or how, how did you feel having left Bristol? Did you did you then kind of have to dress like an equine vet and maybe rein in any of your campness if, 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 if that's how you kind of perceive yourself?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that that's something that definitely came into play after graduation, and especially moving somewhere like Sheffield. It's a more northern industrial town. And I was at the time living with my boss and his family, and they lived on a on a farm that was based on the outskirts. And I remember sort of initially thinking, oh, God, this is a very heteronormative family, and they discuss um telly at the table and then maybe something will happen on tv and they would it would be something that was a bit different and they pass comment about it and you just feel like you felt you feel yourself seizing up and just not able to speak because you just i just don't you want to make a good impression and i certainly found that after i left university because you'll lose it, you're losing that comfort blanket that liberal environment where everything is safe and secure and there's that protection for you um And I would say that then moving on to my internship, I kind of felt a little bit more at ease. But I think that was because I was just that bit closer to London and I had some friends there and I was able to get to a point where I could express myself a bit. I could go on the right social occasions. I could spend time with other gay people. And it just made me feel a bit more at ease with myself in that regard. I mean, it's only since I've come to Leahurst and work at the University of Liverpool that I've really gained more of an experience in being not only involved in sort of a social aspect of, of being gay, but within an academic institution like the university, there's a huge setup for equality and diversity and promotion of that and making it clear that these are characteristics that are not only accepted but they're promoted it's made clear that this is a good thing and I think that that is something that is a bit of a struggle to translate within the equine veterinary industry because it's not necessarily seen as a priority and the reason for that is that there's many really admirable people in charge of our industry and who influence it, that although they're not homophobic by any means, they're really good people and they will have plenty of gay friends. They don't see sexuality as a barrier, but to me that's because I don't feel they have experienced a barrier in their life in the same way, especially if they are a a straight man.
1: Yeah. I, um, I'm just going to pick up on your point there about uh, being in academia and and feeling more accepted and perhaps getting to that point of 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 self acceptance because I, I I think that that ultimately that leads to a greater feeling of happiness and I and I would think then that that if you feel more self accepted then you're likely to 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 be better within your role and I I think back to a podcast that I saw or. Rather, I listened to about um, the rugby ref, Nigel Owen, who said that he was a better ref on the pitch when he'd come out and he felt he could be his true self and be his true identity. Do you feel that you're, you're a better vet and you, or you're better within your job because you feel more comfortable within Liverpool than perhaps you felt in other work environments?
0: Um, massively so like I now work in a job that for one gives me a a better work-life balance because of that I'm able to spend more time with my friends but I'm also able to commit myself to causes that I think matter and a group like the British Veterinary LGBT plus society is the perfect outlet for me to be able to promote causes that I think are worthwhile to work to make things better for other people but also to I, I have the time to be able to commit to that and because I'm doing it I then feel better about myself and I, I think it does reflect in my work I mean I make much more sound clinical judgments as a vet and that has come with time as well but I definitely feel that being in a better place has made me a better vet to interact with for clients and even more so when you work in an academic environment and you're working in a vet school it makes you a better teacher as well like they see you and they see that you are happy with where you're at and you're able to teach them more effectively um, i think it's funny when when you prepare for uh, having this conversation with you brad and it's like well, what sort of mistakes do you think you've made in your career and, and how has that affected you in a positive manner going forward. And and one of my biggest mistakes I feel is that I haven't engaged with how my sexuality has affected my career sooner and and made more of an effort with it. I think, especially when I started at university, I felt like I wanted to go to university as Ben and Ben is going to be a great vet. I didn't want to be going to university have people perceive me as gay Ben or something like that. And I, I look back on that now and I think, why did I not want people to think of me as that? Why did I not want to be thought of as as gay Ben? And actually, when you think about it in that position, you think it's because you're embarrassed by it. And it's only now that I've spent more time with other people and, and spent more time working with the B, with BVLGBT+, that I realised that, that there isn't anything to be embarrassed about. But or ashamed of but we we often go through that as lgbt people that we feel that shame and i think that's a really sad thing that we kind of have to process a lot of the time or although we don't we pretend it doesn't matter and we don't want to be known about that but that's kind of the wrong way to think about it i think it's something that we should really embrace and, and be proud
1: of and that's why june is pride Month. yeah I, I don't think i'm at that stage uh, which which is is difficult actually for me to discuss because I, I, I still don't like probably the, t- the term gay man. I've used it once already uh, talking about myself and I've kind of just scuttled over it again. But I think that's probably something or reflective of the journey that I am still on. Um, ben, you talked about your interactions with clients and and you, you now are in a supportive environment or an environment where you feel you can be your true self, how do you manage those interactions with clients where they perhaps make a slip up about your sexuality? So they might, I mean, the one that springs to mind for me would be when they start talking about my other half and then they say, does she also ride horses or does she work with horses? So how do you manage those slips by clients? Do you you pull them up on it or do you just go along with it?
0: that's a really interesting question and I think from the perspective of someone that works with BBLGBT plus I would say to you I'd always call it out but I know for a fact though in my own experience when I don't know someone that well I, I would probably just kind of let it go over my head to begin with especially in my early career I would never have thought of correcting it. So I was like well I just want them to like me so I'm just going to go along with what they are saying right but I would say that now, especially from the environment of teaching students while you're out on calls, we live in a very rapidly changing society and and one that has actually become quite divided over issues surrounding uh, trans rights and the way people identify through gender nonconformity and pronouns. So I would now say my aim is to be more proactive about changing that i'm probably very much like you brad in the first instance in that i would probably just let it go of my head and just pretend they didn't say it because i don't think it matters and actually nowadays i say i do think it matters and i think representation matters and so i would hope that from now on i will look to correct politely i think that's what what people are scared of the most is they don't want to come across as angry they don't want to come across as offended. And people that make those slip ups often do feel like, oh, God, I've caused real offence. And I would never hopefully let that happen to somebody, especially if they would just meant it in, in a non-bad way, just asking about your partner. There are instances probably where I would be a bit more uh, aggressive in my correction, especially if someone was being really rude or outwardly homophobic or transphobic, then I would have to say something and I feel that I have that confidence now to do that because I am more at ease with my own journey and I feel I am in an environment that is yeah, very and, supportive. And, and thinking about
1: that wider society, um, I, I was slightly alarmed to hear on a news bulletin, I think it was last night or the night before, the fact that there is still no openly gay members of um, of a lot of the top football teams very topical at the moment um, particularly with them progressing through to the final but there is there is still a real stigma with footballers being open about their sexuality and i I've, I've read a little bit about that and and some of the suggestions are that actually within the team they feel okay but it's it's how they will be perceived by the fans the manager and wider society w- what would be your thoughts on that i think that actually is something that you can relate really hard
0: to home i mean when we look at something like beaver council and does that have somebody there that represents openness and diversity and and really brad if i think about different people's campaign slogans and and manifestos when they wanted to be elected only you really come to mind in terms of someone that has openly said i would work towards diversity inclusion but did you include that you were a gay man in that manifesto or did you just leave it open to Um, yeah i did say
1: i I was and and, but actually if i'm honest it was my other half that pushed me to say that because i think it adds that layer of authenticity to to uh, to who you are um yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I mean, I'm not trying to compare football in this country to to equine practice because I know that there are lots of vets out there who are very comfortable with their sexuality and and um and, and you being one of those, but I think it's about making sure that we keep these conversations going so that that those vets that are out there who wouldn't feel comfortable perhaps in their environments in their workplace um within within their client base etc feel that that um they they can be and i suppose that's where it comes back to the the facebook group which i know as a committee member you're very passionate to be a part of
0: yeah exactly and i'm very lucky because i being involved with bb plus B- i i organize a lot of the uh, events so That includes organising us, being able to march at at least two Prides a year, including London Pride, and then we move to other cities around the country. Um, And those are the times where you feel like the real appreciation. You feel like there are so many people out there that that do support you, especially when you're walking through the streets and and people are cheering you. And it's not so much because of, of what you do as a job, it's just for being able to express exactly who you are. But that's why I think representation matters a lot um because actually that's what helps to make people feel more comfortable about being in a certain industry and and that's kind of why i felt it was appropriate to kind of make a a small comparison between something like beaver or, or football because actually you have to have that person there that starts the ball rolling and gets things more comfortable And that's what's really interesting when you said earlier about was there anyone that you looked up to that made you think you want to be an equine vet? But if I think about equine vets and somebody who outwardly identifies strongly as being an LGBT plus person, I struggle to think of that in equine. And so that's why I think that going forward, we should really think about how do we as an industry look outwards to make sure that we are appealing to yeah well, and
1: i think we could sort of debate that and and uh, discuss that um which is a really valid topic and and hopefully we're just by doing this podcast we're talking about it and, and creating an opportunity for further discussion for for people um who are beaver members Um thinking about allies in practice how, how do you feel about um people making you feel supported um but but not sort of belittling you so um you know because sometimes we we get allies in practice who say oh you know we we did that for you to make you feel more comfortable because it must be hard for you to be part of the community in this environment did you ever feel that you had that where people were sort of almost Going too far the other way, and then you get that nuance between support and not making them feel guilty. What what do you think to that?
0: That's a really good question. I I don't think I have ever felt that within my time working in private practice. I I, I actually feel that most people would just be like, well, if we don't talk about it, we just won't bring it up, and it's not a big deal because that's the better way to be, right? Uh, because I think to be an ally, you you should be outwardly supportive. You should say, I appreciate that you are a gay person and that you have experiences that I haven't necessarily gone through and I want to understand that and they look to, to learn. That's what being an ally is all about. It's looking to learn and grow from other people's experiences. Whereas there have been occasions where I've been asked to be on committees or go to panels during my time at the university and the reason for doing that is because I'm actually the only gay person they know and they're a bit like oh well it would be really good to have this person on this panel because they're gay and it's like okay I appreciate that but there has to be something else to it like I want to be able to bring an idea to the table rather than just acting as your token uh, I don't know if actually you maybe have experienced the same thing while while you've been at, at nottingham maybe but that that's the difference is when you then have a big institution that Works under the premise of being very positive surrounding diversity and equality. You, you do w- want to be asked for something else rather than just it being based on your sexuality.
1: Yeah, and I, I think quite, I'm quite lucky at Nottingham. So I, right. I am the LGBT champion. It's the only time I feel like I've ever been a champion in my career. But but actually, it, it, it's nice because it, it. I I really then feel that I can take the role and um and and hopefully. Improve um, equality and diversity within the community um, at uh, Sutton Bonington for staff and students. So yeah, it, it's uh, it's about it being done in the right way, um, rather than like you said, just being rolled out as the as the token go. And um, Ben, I, I know you've probably touched. <laughs> That's a great yeah, token yeah. Oh dear, I know you've you've probably touched on some of these <laughs> failures, but um, do you want to just talk to us about? your failures now I know they may not be sort of the traditional failures that we've had on this podcast where you feel you've made a clinical slip up um but but I'll let you kind of elaborate do you want to kick off with with your failures
0: yeah I mean we've covered in a reasonable amount of detail like my own personal uh failure reflecting to not really come to terms with my own sexuality properly. I know if I went to university and said I would be out, but it still took a number of years, if not when I started working, to really process and feel comfortable with myself. But that kind of reflects a little bit back onto one of the other failures that I came across in practice, which comes down to communication. And I know that really communication is probably the root of a lot of our our failures but i just i always tell the students about this one because i just feel it's a very important one to talk about uh, and that was a time when when i was working uh, as an intern and we had a horse in that had had a really nasty choke episode and and had a pleur pneumonia as a as a result and we'd been treating it for a good week and a half and essentially it was elected to put the horse to sleep. Uh, and that was very sad and the, the senior vet in charge had spoken to the owner over the phone and, and explained everything and she had agreed that the horse would be put to sleep and, and that that would then happen. Uh, and she came in to, to see the horse in the evening and it was during a time that we were very busy uh, and during the period where she'd come to visit she had then been noted to be in the stable with the horse by somebody else and then she left without saying anything and so during the course of the night I was in charge and I decided well look, we'll just kind of keep this horse here for the moment uh, because I wasn't able to speak to the senior vet in charge I like, did I need to put it to sleep there and then or we'll be we waiting or, or whatnot and the following morning came and I bumped into the, the senior vet in charge and they said oh no that's fine is 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 this horse still here right okay yeah no I've spoken to the owner you can put it to sleep, that's absolutely fine, crack on. So being the the doting and very efficient by that point intern that I was, I was like, okay, so I sorted out the morning meds and I did a bandage change. And I took the horse out of the stable, and I put it to sleep and I went back and I did an ultrasound on something. And I went back to my desk, I was doing my referral letters and typing up some of the files. And then one of the receptionists comes into the office and she's looking at the whiteboard where we have our list of patients. And she goes, "Um, why is stable number five empty? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, wasn't there this horse in there? And I was like, yeah, but I've, I've been and put it to sleep. I was told to go and put it to sleep. And she sort of looked at me and she was like, oh. And I was like, why are you making that face? And she goes, well, I've got the horse's owner on the line and and she's asked for for the horse to to go out in the paddock this morning and then, then she'll come in this afternoon to be here when you put it to sleep. And, of course, there was this moment of horror because we'd already done the job and that's what I'd been told to do. And so I immediately get on the phone to the senior vet and I'm like, this has happened. She thinks it's being put to sleep this afternoon and I've already done it because you told me to. And equally, this vet was horrified as well, and was like, right, don't worry, I'll ring her now. And the events that then followed from that were some of the hardest that I've probably had to go through in in veterinary practice. And not to say it went on for ages, it was more just that day, because the owner then wanted to come in and see the body, and that's fine she came in with a friend and for some reason the responsibility fell to me to take them where the body was so i already feel awful enough that i have put the horse to sleep and the owner wasn't able to be there and then we're going up towards where the body is and just as we come around the corner and we see it there the owner of course bursts into tears and she's really crying and wailing and she has this friend with her and the friend just started screaming at me And she's saying things like, this is despicable, it's disgusting, how could anyone do this? Someone has stolen this woman's last moments with her horse, it's unacceptable, how dare you, you people are awful. And she just kept going and going and going. And it was just one of the most horrendous things I've had to put up with. And I don't know what it was, but all I could do was just stand there and take it and just wait for her to tire herself out. And that's something that I will take forward is that my experiences in in life and and kind of maybe hiding who I was and just staying silent and putting up with things like bullies and, and those sort of events, they really sort of toughen you. They give you this armor where you can just be like, right, just stay still, just wait. And eventually she stopped. And at that moment I was able to say, I understand you're upset. This should not have happened. I will find you some details for someone that you can write a complaint to. Spend your time with the horse. I will come back in 20 minutes unless you come down to the reception sooner. And that's all you can do. You can just take your time, be polite, and go forth from there. But more importantly especially when you're dealing with really complex procedures or euthanasias, you've really got to make sure that the permission is clear because those are the kind of stories that people run in the Daily Mail or other publications where they're trying to make vets out to be monsters and no one's a monster but people make slip-ups and that's a really classic example there of an occasion where really clear communication needed to be made and it didn't happen because actually everyone was a bit too rushed.
1: Yeah, gosh, that's a, a pretty uh, difficult story. I'm, I'm sure a story that that resonates, like you said, uh, Ben, with lots of the listeners about when perhaps you've had a busy day or things have slightly kind of slipped the net, and you get that sort of that Swiss cheese model where one thing comes on top of another and another, and then eventually this real hiccup has occurred and kind of wondering how that's happened but um but but like you said you can kind of take that perceived failure and actually realize that it was probably part of the growth and development and has actually made you into the vet that you are now and and a vet then that can share those experiences and hopefully benefit the students that that you teach so um thanks for sharing that that powerful story you talked about your true identity to ben and and the that as a perceived failure. Did you have another one that you wanted to talk about just towards the end of the podcast?
0: Uh, Sort of, I think that the the other ones kind of relate back a little bit to to times as a student and, and being a bit unclear in who I was and not being quite so sure how to like, Manage that, and and I think because of that, I had a, a quite a good deal of anxiety, especially with regards to how other people would perceive me. And so I'd often go out onto to placements at different play uh, at different practices, and just be frozen with with fear when asked to to do something because I had this perce- horrible perception that I would just get everything wrong, and it would all come down to the fact that I was just totally useless and it was probably because I was gay which is a normal way to think about it but it's certainly something that kind of plagues on your mind and I remember sort of helping do checks on a, a set of horses in a hospital um and I was asked just to give a bag of saline to a foal while the intern was able to go out and and go and do the rest of the checks while we gave it to the foal and I was just thrust upon this like giving set and a bag of saline having never handled either in my life before. And I don't know what it was. And I think about, like, the students we have now, and I think, God, like, we put so much pressure on them. And some of them are well ahead, and some of them just don't know what they're doing. And I just remember standing in the stable for a full half an hour, trying to figure out how to put this giving set and the fluid bag together, one of the simplest things you could ever do. And it just was not happening. It was awful. And then this... Intern eventually comes back and it's just looking at me like, why haven't you done anything? And I don't know what possessed me, but I I really feel like there was something about me that just couldn't ask for help, that I had to really prove myself that I was going to be able to do this on my own. And I just couldn't. And the same thing happened at the exact same practice where I was holding a, a horse and somebody else was trying to do a check on this foal. And this foal was not the original foal of the mare. She was a foster and she wasn't overly keen on it but she would just about tolerate it if you were holding her. She would then let the foal suckle and she obviously got a bit peeved about the whole situation. There was a lot going on. Someone was holding the foal. The foal was nudging at her, really sort of aggravating her back end and out of nowhere this horse just bit me on the arm and I still have this like small scar to this day where the blood was just pouring out of my arm and I remember shouting at the top of my voice really swearing at this horse and I was totally unimpressed and again another intern came over took one look at me rolled their eyes and was like just go and clear yourself up and I was like I have failed I am this boy that has come along this weedy child that just doesn't know how to do anything. It's completely useless and I'm never gonna make it in this world. And of course that's not true, but certainly I would be able to go into those situations now. And I reflect on what happened as I, when I was a student at these places. And I think I'm so much more confident in myself that I would manage that appropriately. But also I think about when we have young vets coming through now, is that you have to take your time with them. You cannot expect the world. There are very good students out there, don't get me wrong. There are some people that we would perceive as having really good common sense. And that's fine. But those that don't initially get perceived as having common sense, those are the ones that actually, with a little bit of nurturing and a little bit of patience and a little bit of time, go on to become even better vets than those that come out really strong and all guns blazing. And that's what actually really has influenced me to go towards the the teaching route as well as being a vet is because I feel like I was that student who was nervous, who was unsure, who didn't really know who they were or what they wanted to be. And this is an opportunity to say, this isn't scary. This is actually something that you can enjoy. And that's something that we should really promote to new graduates when they come out, because it is scary. But with the right level of support and the right teaching tools to begin with, we can make this a really fun job to do early on.
1: Gosh, you sound like an amazing uh, educator. I, yeah, I'm so impressed, Ben. I think that uh, you, you really talk so passionately about um, making sure that you teach your students and 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 give them all the tools they need to to go out into practice and 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 hopefully succeed and 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 thrive and not just survive um a few of the things that you mentioned just as we come to the end of this podcast around feeling like that weedy boy that wasn't strong enough and and perhaps struggling with your own self-acceptance which led to a lack of self-confidence and a self-doubt. I, I sort of feel that there's this undercurrent at that stage of, of your sexuality perhaps impeding your growth as a, as a vet student. So so what would you say to new graduates that might be listening or young vets who feel that at times their sexuality does negatively impact them as either vet students or vets? Um, what would you say to them as a, as a final take-home message?
0: That's a really great, question you don't want to sound like corny or anything like oh believe in yourself or it'll get better or something like that I think I just find that that's really unhelpful actually because that's what everyone says I I think for me I always think it's important to really ask yourself what do you enjoy so that can be from something really small like going out and seeing your friends, or listening to music, or going to a concert, or going out for dinner, right? Or you can then look at the really big things if you're really motivated, which is like running a really successful practice, or you want to be on beaver committee. Um, Or it could even actually be that you just, you really enjoy work. But for me, the happiest I've ever been in a job is actually in the job that I have now. And it's not because that the clinical cases that I see are any easier. Yes, I'm more experienced, I find it easier to work for a problem. But actually, the reason I love it so much is because I've been afforded the time to be able to go out and do the things that I really enjoy and pursue the passions and causes that I think are really worthwhile. I love seeing my friends. I like being involved in committees that help me make other people feel more accepted and more comfortable. And that makes me a much better vet. And I think if other people are able to think about what do they enjoy doing the most, they become happier individuals and they become better vets as well.
1: Ben, that's a, that's a great take home message. And I feel like we're sort of moving now, um, beyond LGBT, which I think is a good thing in in some ways, because we're now thinking about values and making sure that our students really understand who they are, what's important to them, and then aligning those values to their career goals. So that, for me, is um, something that I try and teach my students. Ben, thank you so much for coming along today and talking to me about your experiences and your failures. I think you've been a a real inspiration. And for those listeners out there, please join the BVLGBT Facebook group. I think it really is a a place of of support. uh, And and I'm sure there are loads of people out there that um, can share experiences and share stories. Thank you, everyone. Catch up soon. Bye.
0: This episode of BeaverPod was produced by Beaver. For more details on the benefits of your Beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk.